Tom Lorenzo. And this is the Pop Style Opinion Fest. Hello, kittens. Welcome back to another edition of the PSO. I am the T in your Tilo, Tom Fitzgerald. And I'm here with the Low in your Tilo, Lorenzo McKiss, my love husband. Hello. Lorenzo just had his beard appointment I know, yesterday. For the first time ever. Yes, no, for the first since, time. since March 2020, actually. Yeah. Yes, for the first time in 15, 14 months, Lorenzo went and got his beard trimmed. Oh, and I look wonderful. It's so tight and cut <laughs> and perfectly shaped. I'm I jealous. I'm gorgeous. I have a hair and beard appointment, but it's not until next week. Right. So, and then after that, we're hitting the world looking fabulous. I know. Right? Can't wait. Yes, I know. It's it's a weird time. And you even said, I asked you if, because he went to his usual barber, and I asked you if it was weird to be back there. And you were like, it wasn't so much weird, but all you could think about was how angry you were and how much time no, you missed. No, it was just a, a weird feeling because I'm sitting there and uh, I'm looking around and like, all right, this all looks familiar. I was here a year ago. And it just hit me. I was like, wow, I just wasted a year of my life. Yeah. I mean, when we went to Trader Joe's last week, it wasn't like, oh, my God, so weird to be back. I mean, you get back into your rhythm. I've been grocery shopping for decades now. But you do feel that. You feel the weight of like, it's right. so stupid I that I haven't of, been able to go grocery shopping in right. 13 months. I actually read a, a lot of pieces about that, how people feel like they, they, if I, they, I mean, I'm sure it's true for a lot of people, but not for everybody, that they haven't accomplished anything in a year. Like they feel like they just right. wasted a whole year. And I'm sure it's true for a lot of people, but but not everybody. I no. mean, a lot of people did wonderful things. I just think getting through you know, this year intact, Or took advantage of the year. Yeah, I just think if you got through this year intact and, you know, you you did what you did, did right. to protect yourself or whatever, I don't think you should judge yourself too harshly about the year. True. Uh, we all lost a year, and whether you were productive or not, I don't know. I don't want to get preachy here. Uh, maybe we'll put that in a new newsletter. Because yeah. our newsletter is going well. I'm so psyched because when you start something like this, you're like, can we do this? Can we keep up the pace? And listen, it's only week one. So I don't know. But we we managed three newsletters in a week, which was exactly what we wanted for. Right. To, that's the goal we're hitting. There's been really good response to the essays that we're writing for it. Right, so. right. I, I'm, I'm very excited about it. And, and once again, I want to thank you guys. We wouldn't be here without you guys. And we're, we think about that every day. Trust me. And we never take anything for granted. So I do want to thank you guys for subscribing to the letter, um, you know, following us on Instagram, Twitter, everywhere. Because those things do matter. Believe it or not, um, those numbers matter in a way. So do that we make our living. Yeah, exactly. And then how people look at us and say, oh, okay, these guys, you know, have a nice newsletter with a lot of followers. Right. So anyway, that type of stuff. So, so it's twirling through it. It's on Substack and we're, we're going to have another one up tomorrow. We're trying to hit them every two or three days or so because we want, we want it to be different from the blog in the sense that we want it to be considered pieces that we spend some time on. Uh, rather than something right. we're churning out. Uh, believe me, I, I don't. I shouldn't say churning out as if our blog content doesn't matter. But the schedule's different. The voice is different. The voice is different. The expectations are right. different. And the newsletter gives us an opportunity to uh, indulge in more long form. Not that they're. We're not talking. No, about but I joke about them as like they're they're like a long tweet, you know, kind of thing. Meaning that whatever we express, right, you know, right, right, outside the, you know. I won't Off lie, we've been using yeah. Twitter to workshop post ideas right, and exactly. essay ideas. So anyway, happy about that. Twirling through it. Uh, if you would subscribe and subscriptions are free, uh, it just means it's going to pop up in your email uh, every time there's a new edition. If you would subscribe, that would be super awesome yeah, for us absolutely. because getting those numbers up means this can continue. Mm -hmm. um, 
And like I said, it's free. So what else? We have some things to talk about. We have uh, uh, some cultural stuff. Some f- I-, I like that this this week is a little more fashion-oriented. But mm-hmm. be- how about before we jump into fashion, we talk about um, our new little TV surprise, which dropped uh, this week. It dropped Thursday, yesterday, uh, on HBO Max. It's Hacks, starring Gene Smart. And uh, I had heard about this for a while. We did not ask for screeners because it was like a half hour comedy thing and I was like yeah, right, right, right. I don't know how much I'm into that um, but I should have known better because it's the great and wonderful Jean Smart and you give her she's a amazing. starring role and she's right. had such a career renaissance in the past few years I mean if you don't know I'm talking about like Charlene from Designing Women but in the last few years she's done Fargo, Fargo she did an amazing, amazing job, job on yes. Fargo she's currently on Mayor of Easttown um, she's which, been busy she's doing great work on that and now she has this new show called Hacks and What's charming about the show is that the premise is really fun. Right. As soon as it's explained to you, you're like, oh, okay. And and they actually execute it in a really fun way in that uh, Gene Smart basically plays a Joan Rivers type um, comedian mm-hmm. of a certain age who's been right. doing it for decades. And she has a Las Vegas residency, which means she's very, very wealthy in the same manner that Joan Rivers was at the end of her career. Um, but she's getting stale and she's feeling the pinch of her career closing in on her. And then there's another character who is a failed comedy writer from an L.A. She was a failed television writer. She's like a millennial. Right. Very, very different. And the two of them wind and she winds up working for Gene Smart because they both share the same agent. That's all set up in the first five minutes. So basically, it's a generational comedy Two women, very different backgrounds, and in a setting that's a lot of fun because it's they take full advantage of the Las Vegas setting. Right, it's a lot of scenes, a lot of you know outdoor scenes, and she lives in this absolutely ludicrous I know, mansion. God. I mean, completely ridiculous mansion. Gene <laughs> Smart, and what's what I like about it is uh, you could assume going into it that, um, for instance, that Gene Smart is a bitch. And she's actually not a bitch. I mean, she gets a lot of bitchy lines across. But even before you know the character, mm-hmm. you kind of understand the world that she's in. Right. And if she's hard, well, I mean, that's the world that she's in. Um, I think that's... I've, I've, I've watched many things, but, uh, movies and TV series about that, about someone very famous having a, a, an assistant or right. having someone... Yeah. And their relationship. Right. Um, and it's true that, I mean, it... it it, you look at it, I mean, yes, the, the person is harsh and everything, but the whole world is so harsh. You look at agents, you look at all these people. Right, right, right. Everybody, they just, they can be fired the next day, they can right. lose their jobs or, or a client. And it's just, it's the same thing if you watch uh, Call My Agent. It's the same type yeah, yeah, of yeah. environment where it's just stressful on right. a daily basis for everybody involved. And if you're a woman, a senior woman, right, exactly, because she's in her 60s and extremely, obviously extremely successful, I think the show does a really good job without being heavy-handed about it to show you um, the hustle. Like, mm-hmm. she never stops. Right. You don't get to be... And Joan Rivers actually was just like that. Don't get me wrong. This is not... Really, it's interesting. They did. They have Mrs. Maisel, and now they have this. And both of these characters are based on Joan Rivers, but they're not like her at all. Um, well, for one, in Jean Smart's case, she's not. She's not a Jewish comedian, and I mean that was a defining. That's, right. that's why Mrs. Maisel is the way it is because um, Joan Rivers, as a Jewish comic, that was a defining aspect of her persona. Gene Smart isn't like that, and it, they, the few comedy bits that they show, she doesn't work blue. She doesn't tell dirty jokes. Not really. 
Um, and they make the point that her her success is, comes down to people from Florida and retirees. Like it's very safe. Old fans, kind yeah, of like yeah, old yeah, yeah. fans. Um, but it it's still fun. Um, and it's Vegas, of course. Yeah. You know, and and they're not afraid of making fun of everything, anything. So I, they make fun of L.A. and Vegas at right, the same right, time, exactly. which is always fun. I'm sorry. Go I ahead. thought that all the characters was hysterical. I mean, yeah. Um, even the minor, you know, when they're all funny. Yeah. Um, I, I the guy watched, that had the antique shop. I oh thought my was god, hilarious. everybody! Um, anyway, uh, we watched the first two episodes. First two episodes dropped this week. I think they're dropping an episode a week on HBO Max, and um, it's fun. It's not, as I said to Lorenzo, it's not like the jokes are unexpected. Like they don't really mine new territories. Not yet. Not yet. It's the first two episodes, and they're establishing a lot. They're establishing a relationship. And a lot of times it goes it, like it hits the exact beat. There's a, it's a generational comedy, so you know there's scenes where each one of these women tell the other one off for either being young and self-absorbed mm-hmm. or old and out of touch. So all of those scenes are a little expected, but they are served with a little bit of sharpness to them. I think the in each of those scenes, I was amused by it, even though it was sort of an expected scene. Right. Uh, they each get their digs in at each other. Um, they, I should say that the woman who plays her co-star, the, the actress's name is Hannah Einbender. I'm not really familiar with her, but she's funny as hell. In the beginning, I wasn't sure, but then she, she became she funny really, very, yeah. very, very quickly. She's um, very yeah. different. She's, like I said, a millennial television comedy writer whose career is in the toilet because she made an offensive tweet. <laughs> Which is actually really <laughs> oh my on God, point. It's the whole thing. Yeah, you know so, when her, her her agent goes on about, well, you made a you made an offensive uh, joke, and then you replied several times. Yeah, yeah. you dug in. <laughs> so and you see this happen so I often. Do. So it feels very of the moment. Um, it's not groundbreaking television, but there is no problem sitting watching Gene Smart tear through right. a jokey script in thirty minutes. I think she's so amazing at the way she. Looks at the camera and everything. Her expressions, the way yeah. she l- delivers the lines, I think she's phenomenal. She's I just really, a really love pro. her. She's just yes. an old pro who's been doing it a long time and has paid. Not, I don't want. I really don't want to make it sound like she was some sort of unknown because she's been well known to American television audiences for three decades right. now. But she's sort of like you know done the work plowing through network television and sitcoms and various forms of TV movies until she's reached a point now where she's. It's all prestige television, right, one right. right after another. I, I mean, don't want to give anything away. Her but Emmys are... Com- I mean, I think she's already won Emmys for Designing Women, but man, she deserves some late yes, career recognition. Yes. She's like the Meryl Streep of television. Right. Go ahead. I think, I think the character, uh, it's so much of her, you know, like her career. Her sarcasm is so... Exactly. So yeah. it, it's interesting to watch that. And, uh, and also the fact that they are... Women, they're two women. Exactly, it's a in, female in generational yes, comedy. Yes. They're both super smart women. They're they're neither of them are shallow. Right. None of their conversations are about you know frivolous stuff. And, it's and, actually about right. some of it's about heavy and, stuff. And despite their difference in, in age, I mean they they're they're both fighting for their place. Yeah, you know to get a job or to keep their job and so on to get respect. Yes, get and respect to not have in any industry. of it taken yeah. away from them. So uh, it's fun. We only saw two episodes. Can't really tell where it's going. But like I said, Jean Smart, I can sit and watch I'll, her I'll anytime. Watch her, yeah, do anything. And her co-star Hannah Einbender is actually meeting it's her funny, joke yeah. for joke. So hacks on HBO Max. Catch the first two episodes. They are T low recommended. Yes. Um, let's jump over to the world of fashion. Yes. Uh, it was just announced this week, uh, that Juliana Rancic, the host of Ease Red Carpet, is stepping down after 20 years. 
Um, she's going on to do other things. Apparently, she has a development deal with NBC. Hold on. M- Miss Mimi was drinking my water. <laughs> Get away. <laughs> Don't talk to her. <laughs> nightmare. Nightmare cat. Anyway, um, so she's stepping away. And it, it's, you know, if you're someone who's in this world or, or watches this world, this world of red carpet coverage, it actually is sort of a big deal to see her step down after so long doing this role. She's sort of the Barbara Walters of the red carpet. Right. Um, and Laverne Cox uh, is stepping in and taking over her duties as the new E-Red Carpet host. And I think as two people who, you know, we, <laughs> our jobs, whenever there's a big event, whenever there's an award season event right. or anything, we have to sit down and watch. And watch the whole thing, yeah. Yeah, so we have watched a lot of Juliana. A lot of bad television, too. <laughs> uh-huh, and we've watched a lot of Juliana in the last 15 years. And, you know, before he stepped down, a lot of Ryan Seacrest. And we've watched other people try and step in. Here's the thing about uh, fashion coverage, celebrity red carpet coverage. And we've said this before. You got to know what you're doing because you're you're either going to wind up being so saccharine and boring in your commentary that you're not offering anything or you wind up going too far and offending people. Um, The thing is that the e-red carpet changed so much. You know, at first it was like very shallow, very, you know, light. Who are you wearing? Yeah, and, and then people start complaining about it that they would only ask about what they were wearing not their jobs and or or whatever movies and silly i know so they kind of changed a little became a little more defensive and and cautious way too cautious uh, over cautious right and and then it changed the 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 conversation that they would sort of like pretty much you know apologize for asking what they were wearing right right right, uh, kind of thing and then it moved and then they started hiring all these people um you know, not great people. Nobodies, let's just say it. A whole bunch of nobodies on uh, E's red carpet don't team. Know. And not only that, I don't care if they're not known, but the no, fact I that No, I know. I'm a nobody. I understand that. But the but fact that they didn't have experience and, and they and weren't... And it shows. And they weren't great. So, they're not yeah. great. They don't have good... I'm not going to name names, although I do think Brad Goreski's terrible on television. I'm fine with saying that. The thing is that you should never hire a, a stylist or a designer. They're not going to be they're, honest. They're never going to be honest. George yeah. Katsiopoulos, when he was on Fashion Police, it was the same thing. Mm-hmm. Very good. He was actually very good at fashion commentary. But don't but he was never anybody. going yeah. to be honest because they're all potential clients. Exactly. Same thing with Brad Goreski. And on top of which, he just, I don't, you know, he just doesn't have, no. Mm. He's not good on TV. That's just, and you know what? That's not a sin because I'm not good on TV no. either, we, but we, I'm not we, getting we've paid. We've said no yeah. many times. Uh, I'm not getting paid to sit there yeah. and be annoying the way he is. Um, I just don't think he offers good commentary. I agree. The, I the agree. only thing he can do, and I'm singling him out because he's the only person on the team with actual professional credentials to, to sit there and talk mm. about fashion. Um, they have Zana Roberts, Rossi, the uh, editor, mm-hmm. but she's the same way where she's not going to, she'll, she'll never offend anyone because right. she has to work with celebrities and fashion houses. So um, it, it was funny because before they would, they would, Say they loved everything, and then the next day, well, on when there was fashion police, right? Yeah, right. then they would trash the next everyone. day on fashion police, they would trash everything, and it was just funny to see the change. Now, there's no fashion police, so they're they're stuck with just everything is wonderful. And, um, we're just giving our overview of the e red carpet scenario. Um, but back to Laverne, uh, comments. no, I just wanted to talk uh, about, um, Ryan C. We'll get right. to, I'm, I would, yeah, Ryan Seacrest. Oh, uh, dear. Uh, no, no, I'm not going to trash him. The thing is, I never liked his coverage because, again, he was, it was very schmoozy and he knew everybody and it was all about being pals mm-hmm. with celebrities. Right. Um, and the, all of the interviews were very, just very PR oriented. There wasn't a lot of um, 
spontaneity to it or anything like that. And he did not like asking about fashion. Um, he has spent his whole career fighting uh, the perception that he's gay, and he clearly doesn't like to be perceived that way. So, and I don't think he is. I don't think he's, despite what Kathy Griffin making jokes at his expense, I never thought Ryan Seacrest was a closeted gay man. Um, but he doesn't like anything like that. Like, he never oohed and odd over fashion because he was so worried that people right, thought right, he was right, gay. Right. And you always got that from him. And it was always that type of conversation, like like they 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 had, I don't know. They, they came to his barbecue the, the day before, you know, kind it of It was thing. all very schmoozy. Yeah, it was very like, I know you guys, you know, we just, I saw you yesterday or I saw you last week and right, kind, right, of, right. kind of conversation. And it just killed the whole bus. But he had something that Juliana never could hand, could never master. And, and um, Ryan Seacrest is smooth as, smooth as can be. Yes, that, yeah. That, I mean, true. smooth as melted butter. That guy does not get ruffled. And he's very good at doing um, interviews on the fly. Even if I don't particularly love the in- questions he's asking, he keeps it going. Well, he has, and he, has he a, never uh, lets. There's no moment where there's like dead air or uncomfortable, mm-hmm. or the celebrity doesn't know what. He just keeps the energy going. He keeps it quick, and then he moves on to the next well, person. Well, he has a uh, radio show, right? <clears throat> or he yeah, used to, and or he has yeah, a podcast a talk show. and everything. Yeah, I'm sure he's yeah. got a million different things, and. Um, Oh my goodness, there's cats all over this table. I know, table. all the cats are on the all table the cats now. Are on so the table. Anyway. They want to join in. So far, they're being quiet. Anyway, so um, as annoying as, as as Ryan Seacrest can be, the whole red carpet scene sort of lost something when he moved away from it because no one left behind was very good at doing those sorts of interviews, not even Juliana. Right. I think she's gotten a lot of shit in her career over the years, and it's easy to to you know, make fun of like a lady journalist who's working at E like that's just sort of a, there's a big target on her. And I, you know, she did reality television and, and there's just a lot of reasons why you could talk, you know, but I just, you know, now that she's stepping down, I just want to say that is not an easy job. And I don't think she was bad at it, but I, I think she sometimes was too intimidated by celebrities Mm -hmm. in a, in a way that Ryan Seacrest is never intimidated by them. And uh, she can't do interviews on the fly. She's a good entertainment journalist. She's well-connected. She's been doing it a long time, but she never, never, never mastered the red carpet interview. Right, right, right. And there were so many memes over the years of these like awkward moments, like with right. her and Cardi B and like where she just, you know, she never mastered that on the fly thing. And I, she was, if you remember, after Joan died, um, they retooled Fashion Police, and she was one of the new hosts, along with Kathy Griffin, and I forget who else. Uh, what's her name? Osborne. Kelly Osborne. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was six or seven years ago, and it, right out of the gate, there was controversy because she made a joke about, and this is what I mean about, um, we've been doing this a long time, and you can make a, you have to learn how to make a joke about a look that doesn't cross a line. Right. And the minute she tried to make a joke, she immediately crossed the lines, and Daya stepped out wearing dreadlocks and um juliana said she smelled like she looks Mm -hmm. like she smells like weed and patchouli which a lot of people rightly pointed out that there's a lot of racism underlying a remark like that um big to do kathy griffin quit kelly osborne quit juliana uh apologized profusely and eventually fashion police was canceled um Proving that you couldn't, you can't be Joan Rivers. You know what I mean? Like, like I said, we've been doing this a long time, and even we learn like we can't be Joan Rivers. Like, right, right. it's a different time, it's a different venue. It's you, and she's dead. And that that way of speaking about people is you can't do it anymore without that sort of blowback. And I think 
that happening somewhat early, because like I said, this was six or seven years ago. Well, it wasn't that early in her red carpet career, but early enough that I think it, after that point, she never felt spontaneous. It always felt to me that she was always very cautious, very, yes. very careful about what she was going to say and um, if she was going to offend anyone, blah, blah, blah. Right. And that came across to me all the time. Um, and you could sense, especially if you live, you know, right. And you can never expect what, what the celebrities are going to say or how they're going to react to anything you ask them or, or whatever. We've been to events like, like a red carpet and right. the energy is crazy. Um, he gets, I mean, he is like priority for all of them. So he can do whatever, but some people only have like a minute to talk to these people. And then they move on you. They move the celebrity to the next person, the next person, the, ne the next uh, channel or publication or whatever. And it's crazy because you you don't know how much time you're going to get with right. them. You don't you don't know how yeah how much time you have to ask whatever question. And then sometimes you only get to ask one question. And if it's a stupid question, then you're stuck with that stupid question. You right, don't, right, right. You have no time to like come back and ask. Something no, there's else. no recovery time or right, anything right, right. like that before. We jump into talking about Laverne Cox. I wanted to talk about Uncommon Goods. Yes. Because we love Uncommon Goods and they're uh, sponsoring this portion of the podcast. Uncommon Goods is, well, honestly, you just have to check it out. It's an online shop filled with unique, totally unexpected gifts. And when I say unexpected, I mean truly original they things you won't find anywhere else. They have such a great selection. Lorenzo got, we went shopping there a couple weeks ago, and Lorenzo got this fantastic segmented cheese board that's monogrammed with our initials, and it's got little components apartments yes. in it and it's just the kind of thing he loves i love to get and then i got a new set of glassware with painted poppies on it because we are yes. light and and gay that way but um they have great stuff if you're shopping for yourself but especially i mean they are perfect for gifts i mean absolutely perfect for gifts um, if you're shopping for someone's birthday, Mother's Day, or Father's Day is coming up, an anniversary or a wedding, Uncommon Goods is the place to go for thoughtful, original gifts for, for everyone in your life. When you shop at Uncommon Goods, you're supporting artists and small independent businesses, which I love. And Uncommon Goods looks for products that are high quality, unique, and often handmade or made in the U.S. And they don't sell products made with leather, feathers, or fur. Gotta love that. Yes. As our table is covered with furry <laughs> creatures listening to every word. Uh, it's a Brooklyn-based company that's all about giving back. With every purchase you make at Uncommon Goods, they give back $1 to a nonprofit partner of your choice. They've donated more than $2 million to date. So to get 15% off your next gift, go to uncommongoods.com slash T-L-O. That's U-N-C-O-M-M-O-N-G-O-O-D-S dot com slash T-L-O for 15% off. Don't miss out on this limited time offer. Uncommon Goods, we're all out of the ordinary. They are amazing. Yes, amazing. All right, so Ryan Seacrest is gone. Juliana Rancic is gone. And... We don't like Brad Goreski on the air. I don't know the guy. I'm not trying to make it personal, but I just can't listen to him. Um, <laughs> I guess that's a little personal. Um, what do I care? Is he listening to this podcast? I doubt it. He's sitting at home counting his money. Mm -hmm. um, so now Laverne Cox is coming up, and I don't know what her first assignment will be. I don't know what. I mean, I think there's an MTV. I think the VMAs are coming up, or maybe it's the MTV Movie Awards are yeah, coming up. Yeah, yeah, they're coming up soon. So she'll probably wind up doing something like that as her inaugural go, and that's great. Um, I've seen Laverne on the red carpet many times. She loves, loves being on the red carpet, 
And she loves being interviewed on the red carpet. Right. She's always bubbly. She's always excited. Oh, yeah. She's a girl who loves Hollywood, loves celebrity, loves fashion, yeah. loves fashion, and is not afraid to talk about now, it. Yeah, I, I still remember the first time she was on the red carpet with um, Juliana um, for E. Yeah. And she was so excited to be there. I remember her saying like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm here. I, right. I watch you on TV all the time. Right. So she has that excitement. You know, she's, she, I think she's perfect for... I do, and I don't do, think... To um, do that kind of job. You know, if she had to, I don't know, interview Megan The Stallion or Cardi B or someone, she wouldn't be intimidated the way Juliana... No. No, She'd yeah. get right in there. Uh, she'd do that with anybody, I think. Um, that's just the way Laverne is. I think she's exactly the right choice. Um, of course, as soon as Juliana's um, retirement... She's not retiring, but she's not doing red carpet stuff anymore. As soon as that was announced, there was uh, uh, think pieces that were coming out that the red carpet is dead. And, blah, blah, blah. and to me, that's like saying, you know, they point to the recent award season and the ratings on were terrible on all of these award shows. Everybody was, mm-hmm. the awards were in the te- toilet, but okay. There's, you know, clear and obvious reason as to why that would be the case. So it's sort of like, if you're looking at the crappy red carpets of 2020 slash 2021's award season and saying red carpets are over, that's like looking at restaurants and saying the restaurant industry is dead forever. No, they had a really bad year and they've right. struggled through it. But when it comes to red carpet, there's this whole thing. We've, we've complained about this a lot in the media that they they really want to talk about how things are going to change and things are going to be different at the same time that they're also arguing that things can't change and can't be different. Um, so you get a lot of this, you know, red carpets are dead because, you know, we don't believe in frivolous. That is such nonsense. It's no. not even funny. The red carpet will only be dead when celebrities start paying for the clothes. Exactly. That's that's when it's Or bad. when fashion houses decide that it's yeah. not worth the trouble. But they, it's been 100 years yeah. and they haven't decided that yet. The only reason why they get free stuff is because they they advertise whatever they're wearing. Right. Um, and, and those houses... Those fashion designers in house, they spend a ton of money. It's not on going just anywhere. One look, exactly. And it's not just making the look; it's delivering the look. It's it. They set up tents. They they rent hotel rooms. Right. And, and they have all this incredible production just to dress you for one night. So the, I mean, it's no joke when you bring up things like hotel rooms. The peripheral economy surrounding the red carpet. Right. When you th- when you add up things like the paparazzi, the limousine drivers, the hotel rooms, the makeup artists, the jewelry, you know, the people who provide the jewelry, the people that do the hair, the stylists, the fashion designer, the publicist. Yeah. The money on the table and the mm. number of jobs that are on the table every time freaking Kate Blanchett steps out on the Met Gala or something like mm-hmm. that. Like it's not even measurable. And I don't I don't think some people know that the um, movie uh, companies and, and the TV... Um, the big ones. The big like ones. Disney, they will pay for they it. They actually have a budget for that. Yeah, yeah, they'll, yeah. They, they, they'll pay the stylist, uh, you know, so that you can come up with a look for that person uh, to promote the movie. Right. I And uh, I, this is our job, and we've been um, providing celebrity style commentary throughout the lockdown and everything using, you know, whatever tools we could when there weren't red carpets. And I can tell from my own experience, the idea that there isn't still an audience for this stuff is insane. It's not true at all. The, our engagement numbers post Oscars were sky high the way they are every Oscars. Um, 
just because people didn't watch the show. That's the thing. The the people who are really devoted to things like red carpets are the ones that are watching the Oscars Mm -hmm. in a weird year like this. Um, I still say this. All these producers do not understand how much the viewership watches these shows to look at the outfit. Right. Um, It's the number one thing everybody talks about the next day are the speeches and the outfits. Um, it's and, like attending and the, a party. The long, yeah, and for the longest, for the, the entire time I've been doing red carpet commentary, I've been observing this reluctance on the part of the people who produce these shows to acknowledge that. Right. That is a big part of it. Stop acting like it's not. If you want to just know who won, you, you read a you list. You can read them off a list. Yeah, you, you just a read paper. a list the next day. Right. Um, but you want to see the whole thing. You want to see the person accepting, uh, you know... Giving you a speech and, and wearing you a fabulous glamour. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You want to see the red carpet disasters, whatever. All righty. Is that all we're going to say on that? Good mm-hmm. luck to um, Laverne. Laverne. Yeah. Really, really, really looking forward to I'm it. I'm excited, yeah. Um, and especially, you know, we, we watched her come up. Laverne follows us on social media, and I think part of the reason, she, we've never interacted with her, but I think part of the reason she does, and she's followed us for since the beginning. Since the beginning, because we were covering her in the mm-hmm. beginning. When she first yes. appeared on Orange is the New Black, um, we jumped on the chance to have a um, trans woman on a red car. And she was on a red carpet attending these events. And this was, you know, revolutionary five, right. six, seven years ago when she burst through. Um, and I think she, I think we handled her correctly in the early days in a way a lot of people didn't when they were t- originally talking about right. her. Oh, do you want to talk about the Netflix thing? That came ne- out? No, and actually she, she replied to us in the beginning because we were joking about some of her items. I believe it was her clutch or her bag or something. I don't remember that. And she's saying that, yes, it's cheap. Uh, something like she couldn't afford or she right. didn't have designers sending her stuff yet. That was <coughs> in the beginning. Well, now and she we has were, everybody. We were very good about acknowledging mm-hmm. that, about acknowledging that her access wasn't the same as other actresses right. and that it would take her. And it's not a problem for her anymore. People like Christian Siriano came along and started dressing her. It's, it's and much now better she has, now. It, it's still on the... It's still not on the same level of Nicole Kidman or anybody like that. But But she gets a lot more stuff. She gets a lot more stuff. I just wanted to say the the Netflix dubbing thing. Oh, dear. What was Oh, it was for A Promising Young Woman. And what was it, in Italy? Because she's got a small part in Promising. A small but notable. There's not many parts in the movie, so she stands out, um, Laverne. And the movie was on Netflix in Italy, and they dubbed it, and they they used a man to dub Laverne's voice. You shouldn't laugh. No, I'm laughing because it's so ridiculous. It's so awful. It's so awful and ignorant. You know, I can't believe they would do something like that. Yeah, I mean, because so she's still fighting this weird shit. But I gotta give her credit. Just an interesting thing. I was watching a a Tab Hunter movie two days ago, and it's an Italian movie he made when it was like 60s or 70s when he couldn't get anything. So he made this movie in Italy, and he they dubbed his voice too. And the interesting thing is that his voice is very like this because he's the prince or, you know, the, right, right, whatever right. this character that he act, he has to act very macho. Um, and I noticed the voice and I was like, ah, so I guess it's a thing in Italy. <laughs> I voice know. is a thing in Italy. Anyway, I'd um, be fired the first day. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So staying within the world of fashion and also the world of television, Halston, the limited series from Netflix starring Ewan McGregor as the eponymous designer, dropped today. 
Uh, so we are finally able to talk about Yay, it. Uh, yes. We'll have, or already do have at the time this drops, a uh, review on the site. We, mm-hmm. we definitely, you know, we've done entire podcasts about Halston. We've talked about him quite a, a bit over the years. Although I would never count myself as an expert uh, on the man. But uh, then again, I don't think his story is all that complicated. You know, you can get it, you can get it down. Um, he was a fascinating figure. Um n- n- because he blends everything that we do in our lives uh, professionally. It was celebrity and fashion and gayness. Right. And all of that informed his work and um, was ultimately also um, a big reason for his downfall. Uh, The series is... Uh, I'll be really interested to see how people, how other critics take it. I have no idea how other, what because other, we're we're not allowed to talk. Nobody could talk about it's it embargoed until today, yeah. until today. Which, when I read that, I was like, well, that's usually not a good sign, right? And it is a Ryan Murphy production, and I expect it. I was like, well, this is just going to be a mess or whatever, and it's not actually. I if there's an overriding issue with the series is that um, it's a little dull. To be honest, it's and the story itself, it's very hard to tell. Uh, you can go in, in one of two directions telling Halston's story. You can make it look all gay and fabulous and sex and drugs and parties and oh my God, in the beautiful spaces. Or you can focus on how he got so caught up in that stuff. And it was ultimately not only the downfall of his company, but uh, probably led to the shortness of his life. Um there's problems with both, and I kind of assumed that Ryan Murphy was going to be the, oh, you know, Studio 54, Liza, Liza, Liza. And there's a lot of that, but it really does. I mean, the series is a tragic story, and mm-hmm. it doesn't shy away from that. And there's only five episodes, I think. I think and so. And each episode remember. gets mm-hmm. just a little bit more depressing. Yes. That's the thing. You you go through it, and it's like, well, this isn't fun. But to be honest, you know, if you were doing an honest telling of, of Halston's story— it gets less fun as it goes on. That's the point. Um, I have other issues with the show, but I don't. I, I I do. I am impressed that Ryan Murphy didn't fall into a trap and make it mm-hmm. all about Studio Fifty Four. And there's perhaps too much of a focus on his sex life. I think so. And I and and I'm I'm saying this as a gay person. You said that the you know it's a lot of butt fucking scenes, and it's you and McGregor and. Uh, you said that it made you a little weirded out to see that much gay sex, explicit gay sex. I mean, it's explicit for Netflix. No, I, 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 it's just that I'm not used to it. I mean, the I and I even mentioned to you, there's another show and a uh, very good show actually on Netflix called Special. And the creator of the show, he's gay and it's a gay show. He talked in one of his interviews. He talked about this. He said, "My entire life, I've watched straight people having sex on TV and movies and so on." So it's my turn now to right. create a story where people are going to see two gay men having sex and, right. and the way they do it, not this, you know, romanticized, stylized version of how two men have sex. Anyway, so I thought it was interesting. Uh, but, you know, as a gay person, I'm still not comfortable seeing that type of thing on television. I mean, you, you watched It's a Sin. Yeah, there was a lot of I know, like but it, that. it's still not common. I mean, it's not like. To um, a man and a woman having sex, you know? right? You see that all the time. Anyway, so you see a lot of that, uh, but but it's part of the story. If you can, if you can, you know, take it. Um, Here's my issue with no the, pun intended. But the, if, yeah, <laughs> you you if you if you can watch it, uh, it's part of the story. It's not there just you know 
to uh, draw. I don't know. My issue with the sex scenes, and this is in the the review that we're doing, um, is that there's a certain level of judgmentalism in those sex scenes. It was the same thing with It's a Sin, because Halston did die of AIDS. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way the series depicts sex, gay sex, his gay sex life, is exactly the way they picture his, they depict his drug use mm-hmm. and all of his other self-destructive tendencies, um, the way he wasted money. So it, it, it it's presented as part of his downfall. Part mm-hmm. of his downfall right. was that he was gay and got AIDS. And I'm like, yeah, well, that's a really kind of archaic way of looking at people who right. have AIDS who or who contract HIV. Um, that there's promiscuity involved in it and that, you know, you have to show every sexual encounter to drive home the point that he was promiscuous. Although I don't think Halston himself was all that promiscuous. I think his boyfriend was. Um, There's also the time. We're talking about the 70s here. So there's a certain judgmentalism in the way it's presented and the way it sort of implies that, you know, his gayness was one of his problems. You see this a lot. I mean, you saw it in the Freddie Mercury movie with Rami Malek where it's like, it's just his homosexuality is depicted as one more problem in his life rather than the more honest depiction would be that it was hard to be gay, not that being gay was itself right. a problem. But it's still that this very old idea that you have to explain why things... someone has HIV. Yeah, you you, st- you have to explain there, there there has to be something wrong with that person to right. have that. <laughs> and look, I, Halston's problematic. Like, yes, that's very the much. issue with trying to adapt a story of his life is you're not going to it's i don't mean i don't mean to sound judgmental but it's you know when you see his life play out it's really hard to root for him because he was obnoxious and shallow and he made really bad business decisions right. and he occasionally made really bad creative but at decisions. the same time he was a great friend uh, to a lot of people he was he was flawed uh he was flawed but he was a great friend uh he was extremely creative uh Talented. He was yes. a genius. So a pioneer, you know, everything. So so there's all that stuff. He, in, yeah, and, and it's hard to, to have a show about someone. It's hard. So, you yeah, know. I mean, he was a genius who changed the world in a lot of ways, and it's really hard to depict that when he did it through things like fashion design. How do you depict... The show does a pretty good job. I just... I don't feel like it misses the mark on depicting his inspiration, his mm-hmm. evolution, how he designed things and why, explaining why those things were important. But I question whether our audiences who aren't fas- gay fashion bloggers are going to be all that interested in that yeah. stuff. I think the, the, the issue with biographies and in general or show or any creation about someone famous is that no matter what, no matter how much research you do, it's still one point of view. Uh, it's still cited in a way. Uh, you you're not going to present all sides of that person because it's not going to work for the story. Right. I feel most of the time. Right. Um, so, and if you read a lot of stuff about him uh, and watch documentaries and so on, in fact, there's a great documentary. Well, I wanted to talk yes, about we're, that. We're going to talk about that. Um, you you see that there's a lot more to him than just what we know, um, and maybe a lot more that we don't know. What we wanted to focus on a little bit was um, the entire second episode is devoted to the Battle at Versailles, which is a uh, legendary fashion show. Um, It was basically a showdown between a roster of iconic French fashion houses 
and up-and-coming American designers mm-hmm. in the early 1970s. And it was staged at Versailles um, because it was staged as a benefit because Versailles needed to be, it, it had a restoration thing going on. It was, it was falling, it was falling apart at yeah. the time. <laughs> So in 1973, um, I guess it was the French Fashion Council and Eleanor Lambert, who was... Um, fashion PR. Yeah. Fashion PR. She basically created New York mm-hmm. Fashion Week. Uh, they got together. They came up with this idea. And um, it was it actually was a history-making show. Um, there's a great documentary. It's only mm-hmm. an hour long. It's called Battle at Versailles, the competition that shook the fashion world. We'll have it in... Um, Insert. It's on YouTube, so it's real easy to find. But we'll put it on the on the our site today. Um, I think you should, if you're interested in watching Halston, I think you should watch it because I did not love the episode that they devoted to mm-hmm. this. I felt that they skipped over a lot of the reasons why it was important, and they overemphasized I Halston. You, I think if you don't know more about it, you won't understand. You won't why, understand why it. Versailles is falling apart. Number one, it's you know it's right. just, uh, this chaotic place you won't understand any of that so if you if you have time to watch the documentary and you like that kind of thing i think you appreciate it it's a very well done uh documentary it is um it's an hour long and explains the whole thing uh liza minnelli because halston was great friends with her she participated in the show she opened and closed the show with numbers um and what it was it was um okay let's see it was Yves saint laurent it was pierre cardin it was emmanuel ungaro it was Givenchy and mark bowen on the French side and on the American side, it was right. Oscar de Laurenta, Stephen Burroughs, Halston, Bill Blass, and Anne Klein. Um, now, right off the bat, what I find so interesting about this is that the Battle of Versailles was a history-making uh, showdown in which um, the primacy of the, you know, the post-war primacy of the French couture houses was effectively challenged by American designers mm-hmm. and the fashion press and the fashion buyers, the people who followed this sort of thing, the socialites and the and the royalty mm-hmm. who followed this sort of thing, came away from this event with this shockingly um, supportive, you know, the, it, it completely changed how the world saw American fashion. And it put American fashion on the map. Uh, and part of the reason, and the reason why it did, uh, you know what, I'm going to let you... Can you I talk? Think, because I, you are so the fashion I think guy. The, the reason why the event is so important is because it really represents what was going on at the time. In America. Uh, in, in the world in, the in world. general. And, uh, and the, the, you know, the, all those French designers represented uh, and designers who showed at the event, um, they all kind of represent this very old idea of fashion. Post, post-war fashion. Yes, yeah. it's this idea of fashion uh, and that they were relying on that kind of like history and, and culture and, and didn't <coughs> really want to pay attention to what was going on. And the Americans had no choice but to replicate everything the French people were doing because that's exactly what they were doing at the time. They would watch the French shows, see what's going on in right. France, and then kind of do the same here in America. Um, so... That's the only choice they had, unless they came up with something completely different, and that's what they did. They created American fashion, well, when you uh, look which at was very names. much um, influenced by the time, you know, what was going on at the time. Right. So that was very important. Uh, and then so they decided, you know, we can't do what the French people are doing. We're going to have to present what we do. And that was new and, and different, and that's why it was so uh, famous and 
so important and famous, and, and, and that's why the, the guests loved it. Right. When you look at the names, uh, the lineup of names of American designers, you're talking about Ann Klein, Bill Blass, um, right. Halston. You're talking about um, the designers who created American sportswear and ready-to-wear. Right. Uh, as we know it today. And uh, the French were coming out of a couturier tradition. And um, that, it's amazing to me. You can watch this documentary. There have been books written about this night. Uh, there's almost no footage of it. And there's almost no photographs of it. Because they had no idea it. it was going to be so big. Liza Minnelli's on stage. Princess Grace and I Elizabeth know, Taylor I... are in the audience. And still, no one took pictures. It's insane to me. So... What I, all you have mostly are people's recollections of the night, and people are willing to talk about it because it was such an exciting night. And everybody talked about the French show being very traditional and having like ballerinas in it and being a very couture sort of tradition. And they talked about how the French didn't use music the way Americans did. Mm-hmm. That when you went to an atelier right. uh, or a couturier, you it, they walked and you could hear the floorboards. You know, they they that's not the way the French did it back they then. They held numbers and they or they would yeah they, they would announce the numbers. Number twenty five, and then and the socialites would order that number they would in have their a little size. Yeah, booklet thing or whatever, and then notebook, and they would write the numbers down. But people like Bill Blyas and Halston and Ann Klein were designing for women, not not right. socialites. They were designing for the way that women lived. Right. Uh, Bill Blyas and Halston, in particular, well, actually, all three of them, Ann Klein, were notable for incorporating um, workwear into their design and how they and how they approached the idea that the women they're designing for are not wives and socialites, but women with careers. The great thing about the documentary um, that we're talking about, and that actually made me cry a lot, is that they got to interview all the models, the black models. And, That's and, the other reason for and their it's success. Just so wonderful to hear them um, explain and, and, and talk about how important that moment was for them. Um, their careers took off because until then, you know, they uh, designers and fashion houses didn't didn't use a lot of black models, right? Um, and they were all there because the American designers used them. Well, um, Stephen Burr is one of the designers. Right. Is a, a, an African American designer. It's kind of a shame. Um, he never had the notoriety. The he never got the business right. that you know Bill Blass and Halston never got. But in retrospect. Uh, he is largely considered to be one of the greats of that period. Right. So he brought a lot of fashion models. He he had a, a studio in Harlem, so he had a lot of black fashion models in his little um, coterie, but so did Halston. Halston liked people like Pat Cleveland. He liked all kinds of Yeah, and he, yeah. he loved to use black models. So, and, you know, not, perhaps not surprisingly, the uh, the French at the time were not using a lot of black models. So it was notable, and they weren't just black, they were... American black models and mm-hmm. a lot of them were coming from like urban inner city backgrounds they weren't coming from you know finishing schools so they brought this sense of attitude and the sense of street right, to right. this high fashion setting and the French they love that shit they, they go they, crazy for shit yes. like that um, and everything just worked towards that um, Anne Klein was I don't know if because she was dying uh, yeah she was dying of cancer at she the time. was dying of cancer at times so i don't know because she, you know she felt like all right i'm gonna do something that i haven't done before so her collection was was african inspired yeah uh so she she you know had all these wonderful black um models and and the the fabrics the print everything right. very african um and again so something completely different right um so, so everything was Amazing. It was, and it was change. It really did change. Um, I mean, even like um, Yves Saint Laurent came away. Right. I mean, he was a big snob about American fashion at the time, and he came away basically saying, 
they kicked our ass. Like he wouldn't have worded it that way, but he acknowledged that um, they were what was next, and France really needed to right. take a look at what it and was doing. Josephine uh, Baker was there and was there, uh, which again, Josephine Baker is a legend, of course. But in 1973, she was, uh, you know well past you know she was right you know she was an older woman and liza was young so it, and she was doing broadway show tunes on a, a at versailles it was very exciting for the french to right. see and it was just amazing seeing josephine how, baker at versailles probably wasn't as exciting to them it no felt you know but my point was how josephine baker just loved the american presentation and she went, loved the black model and, and then did. went backstage and yeah. hugged all the models yeah 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 yeah. i mean just, yeah uh, josephine baker left america as a black entertainer in the 1920s because she didn't feel she could have a career here so to see these american black models come and represent american fashion right. had to have been a tremendous moment for her so it, it's it's an interesting event because the french part of the event had everything had the best rooms in versailles had all the support had all the money had the everything they needed for the show the american people had shitty rooms they couldn't rehearse they couldn't do anything yeah and it ended up presenting something you know something completely that changed late. fashion yeah, exactly that changed fashion and everybody was talking about it. and it's kind of a shame they do devote a whole episode of it to the in to in the halston series um, but I feel like they don't really emphasize the parts that needed to be emphasized. Right. And I really wish they had really show me what show me the fashion, like reconstruct the fashion and let's see the show. Right. Um, they, there were bits and pieces of it. And it being a, a, a series about Halston, it tended to elevate him as the one who well, saved. It does make sense a little because it, it, the show is about him. So they know, focused but, on him. Yeah. But um other accounts that I've read, and, and even the documentary, I think it makes the point that Stephen Burroughs, the black designer, is the one that the French oh, really yeah, yeah, went yeah. nuts for. Um, so one one final thing, and then we've got to wrap this up. I think it's interesting to look at this lineup and note that, um, you know, the, on the French side, it's Givenchy, it's, it's um, Saint Laurent, uh, and it's other names that are still around, like Emmanuel Longaro and stuff like that. And then on the American side, it's all these fashion houses that ultimately failed. Mm. They're, they're still brands. Halston, Anne Klein, and um, Bill Blass are still brands, but they are right. They are not influential in the fashion world at all. They are a shadow of their former self. Right. They're basically um, just retail brands. They're not fashion houses anymore. Um, Stephen Burroughs never made it. He never fully got his due as a designer. So for all the history-making work that they did in terms of their designs and the way they changed the way people look at fashion, it's a shame that it did not... Right. Uh, and you made a point before we flipped on the mics that, you know, some of the, those French houses are just establishments. They're institutions. And when you look at these upcoming American designers in the 1970s, they weren't institutions, they were businesses. Right. And in the end, they were subject to a lot of bad business decisions. I still think that the, the American fashion industry should still be proud. Everyone involved should be proud of what they do. Oh, because sure. Because when you think about fashion, you can only think of Italy, France, and the United States. I mean, everyone... And Great Britain. To a certain extent. But but like when you think about real fashion or uh, right, doing right. a lot of fashion, having a ton of designers. Yeah, you're right. I do it. I would include that as well. But nobody else. No. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough business. To be on the it's world stage yeah. as a world leader in that industry. Right. And to only, I mean, the American fashion industry as an industry is really only a little more than a century and a half old. Right. Um, 
because prior to that, it was all European. It was all imported European stuff. That's how fashion was and, done. And not only, another important point before uh, we, we say goodbye, um, it's that the French people felt the pressure to do, uh, you know, uh, the type of fashion that Americans were pushing for, uh, a more right. casual fashion, right. uh, more sportswear. And French, the, the French industry and uh, fashion industry and the designer, we're still stuck with, with haute couture and all these incredible, you know, expensive right. designs. And Halston, for example, he was doing like jumpsuits and doing all these incredible right. trench stuff, coats, trench yeah. coats and stuff like that for women to wear, uh, right. you know, to go to work and all that kind of stuff. And so in a way, they did create that American, the, the, you know, the American designers create that or push for that. Uh, at least right um, anyway so i do think i'm i'm yeah i i'm i'm a fan of american uh fashion because i do think they they, they they've done a lot yeah and it's it is truly a shame that halston um is largely a forgotten figure and his influence his influence is still felt but it has been so disseminated and watered down and copied that it's kind of hard to yeah it's interesting to see someone like him i mean a lot of it has to, a lot to do with him. I mean, it, you really oh, exactly. have to. You really have to blame the guy for a lot of things that happened to. That's him. why his story is hard. But at the same time, you know, like being criticized for for creating a line for uh, J.C. Penney, right? Yeah. Um, at the time, and he he was. I mean, they killed him because of that. Yeah. And now you see all these houses, right. all these fashion designers creating for for H and Target H&M and Target. For, yeah. Um, so, you know, things are different. Um, so he did get a lot of uh, criticism that you know, kind of uh, affected him in a way, his business and so on, which wasn't fair. But at the same time, he was self-destructive. Yeah. Um, um, he had a lot of demons. I right. don't think the uh, series does a good enough job of explaining why he was the way he was. Right. Um, I think if you understand gayness in America at that time, it yes. explains a yes. lot. Yes. Uh, but I don't think the series does a good enough job of no. establishing. He just comes off shallow and self-destructive. And I can look at his story and go, yes, he was shallow and self-destructive because he was I gay think, in that set, in that society. I think that's a point that most shows don't cover or, <coughs> or touch on is the fact that gay people, when they had all that liberation and they, they came out of the closet and they felt they were free, they they also became very responsible in a way because... That's how they saw freedom in a way, and there was no, um, ex there was no example. There was no no guidebook. There was nothing to tell them how to act or how to behave or how to go on with their lives as yeah. a gay person out of the closet, and that affected a lot the business, their business, their career, and everything they did. Combined with the times, of course, that was all about drugs and sex and everything else. Yes. Agreed. That's kind of a heavy point that we could devote an entire other podcast right. to. But um, no, that's totally true. Um, and as much as I enjoyed Halston, and I recommend it, although it is a slog at times, uh, it never quite explains the man as well as as maybe it could have. And the thing is, you look at his life and it's, it's really hard. You have to come up with an explanation for his mm -hmm. life because he didn't tell you. Um, and I just feel like Murphy wasn't, or the, the whole team up behind the writers and everything just didn't weren't capable of making that leap right. and saying this is why he was the way he was it wasn't because he had a lot of sex and it wasn't because he was from indiana although that was part of it um 
But to be a, a, a white, an aspirational white gay man in like the frickin' 1950s and 1960s, mm-hmm. you're, you gotta be a little crazy. Right, right. Because uh, there were not options for you. And he, and the one thing that they do get across really well with about Halston was he was tortured in a lot of ways, but he did not lack self confidence, that man. He basically bullshit his way into a fashion career and then followed it up with real work. But anyway, it's getting late and we uh, uh, we have posts to get together today. I need to get that review up for you guys. So until then, until we're back yes. next week, take care of yourselves and we'll be back next week with whatever crosses our eyes or crosses our desks. Uh, until then, love you, mean it. Bye-bye. Bye.